Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stern. All right, man. A lot has happened in the NBA as of late. Got some injuries that have claimed more of star players within the league. Young guys continue to impress this season. There's some teams over in the west side of the country that are sliding at the wrong time. And everybody's favorite segment, plead their case. I will ask you a series of questions and you'll plead their case. Ready to go? Let's do it. Let's get started. All right. Injuries piling up for several teams. Uh, Victor Oladipo, recent acquisition for the Heat, is out indefinitely with right knee soreness. Uh, James Weissman is out for the year with a torn meniscus. Harden continues to miss time, and it just seems like a lot of star players continue to miss time. So talk about those three, throw in any others that you might think of uh, and how it affects each of those teams at this point in the season. Yeah, we can even look to Giannis, who's been a little bit banged up. He's missed five of the last 10 with, with a knee soreness too. So um, a lot of really competitive teams are just dropping like flies, a lot of their biggest contributors. But I guess starting from the top for the Miami Heat, um, the Oladipo situation, it is unfortunate, but there's just not a whole lot of information on it right now. Um, the information that we have at the moment is that the x-rays came back negative. He didn't travel with the team and Eric Spolster basically said that he's going to be further evaluated by a knee specialist. He's had an MRI done, but it seems like it's almost sounding eerily similar to the situation that Kawhi Leonard had when he was with the Spurs, where you have some type of injury that you feel it as a player, but maybe a little bit hard to diagnose for whatever reason, you're not really getting anything concrete on it. So um, that could be why hopefully he, um, he comes back this season because he does add a really nice dimension to their offense and defense. He had his best game of the year for them when he went down. Um, and it was a non-contact injury. He just landed and all of a sudden he was, he was seemingly hurt. So um, for them, you hope that he comes back healthy. But if he doesn't, you also can't be too upset. You knew that when you traded for him, he was coming off of an injury that was pretty serious that he hadn't fully recovered from. And as a result, you didn't really fork up any major assets and you're not really stuck with them for the long term either. So I think that right now the Heat are just looking at this like, hey, we didn't have them last year when we made it to the finals. At this point, we just have to run with the team that we have. Whoever's here is here. And we're just going to roll with that. And if he comes, he comes. And if he doesn't, we're not really um, counting on it. I think that's the attitude they're going with. But I think they'll be competitive regardless. Defense has been great lately. Um, James, James Wiseman, next one, second overall pick out for the year, the tone meniscus. Um, they haven't officially said that he's going to miss the whole year, but most likely at this point, I don't really see why you'd rush him coming back. He's such a young guy. He's also a big guy. The injuries that big guys get to their knees are a little bit harder to come back from than it is for a guard or a lighter player that doesn't put as much weight on their joints, but um, it's only a meniscus. I think he'll come back strong. I just think that for the Warriors at this point, we'll get into that a little bit later. I think that this is just the icing on the cake of kind of what I thought how this season would play out for them. And a lot of the earlier podcasts, I basically thought that this might happen, but um, there's no surprise there. As far as Harden goes, I don't really think he's hurt. Um, I think that he could come back and play right now if he wanted to. I think that it really just comes down to the Nets are dominating no matter who seems to be in right now for them. And they would rather just give him the extra rest, knowing that they're going to make a deep postseason run. I'm sure he could come back if needed, though. 
Yeah, with the Oladipo situation, uh, the piece that is curious for me and has always been curious for me is even though he came in, it seems like Kendrick Nunn, as soon as any lineup change is made, gets kicked out of the rotation and he was playing pretty well this uh, season. Overall, all of his shooting percentages have increased year over year. His personal fouls have gone down as well as his turnovers per game. So he's being more efficient with the ball while also committing less or fewer errors. And this is a guy who finished second in rookie of the year voting last year, first team all rookie NBA. So very curious that he's out. I think that he'll be able to plug that hole like he has for the entire season uh, that Oladipo does leave. It is unfortunate because it was his best game for the Heat. Um, with Wiseman, yeah, it it would be unfortunate if he was out for the full year. I think he will be just because they do want to be cautious given he is potentially a cornerstone piece of the future. Uh, the Warriors overall seem like they need to uh, provide him more training and mentorship overall too because it seems like he's not been as good as he his potential says he will be. Uh, in terms of the Harden situation, I Harden. Kevin Durant and Kyrie have played seven games together, which is wild. And it's always one of them is seemingly out of the rotation. Kyrie's taking a day off as well. Um, he seems to miss once every three or four games. Kevin Durant obviously had a larger hiatus with that uh, quad injury. And then Harden, I think similar to you, he could play if he wanted to, but what's the point? You just throw one of those three guys in the lineup and they're going to win somehow. So, I think for the Nets, it's the least worrisome uh, for the Heat. I think it's a little bit worrisome, but like you said, you were kind of expecting this slash they gave up a person who was not in the rotation at all and somebody who they're trying to get out of the rotation with Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek respectively. So I think for them, somewhat of a concern. For Weissman, I think that uh, it definitely is a concern for the Warriors who seem to have had the roughest stretch of 24 months with all of their injuries that have piled up. They cannot catch a break unless it's on the injury report. But uh, I mean. <laughs> that was solid. <laughs> but onto some positive news. We don't want to just uh, talk about all the sad things going on around the league because as much as some guys have had bad luck, there's some guys out there that are just killing it right now. There are some young guys out there that are way ahead of schedule and some other guys out there that are finally starting to achieve their full potential too. We had another day this season where two players both score 50 points on the same night. Second time this year after Jokic and Curry did it last, Levine and Tatum both going for 50 points on the same night. Which player did you think had the better performance? I think uh, for both of them, um, it, it they were both good games. The piece, though, is Jason Tatum seemed to have fallen a step behind Jalen Brown this year in terms of them just supplanting one another each year. I felt Jason Tatum continually had the edge for the last couple of years, but uh, Jalen Brown was finally coming into his own. So I think it's a bigger night overall. Uh, but nonetheless, it's definitely impressive from both of them. I think the impressive thing, too, with Zach Levine is he's been doing it consistently all year. Um, and he's starring for this Bulls team when, they, when they've when they needed him most. Uh, also, at the same time, getting all of his uh, like field goal percentages up. Um, so, you know, on the year, he's just been very consistent in terms of finding his shot and, and getting uh, the, the spacing that he needs. 
Yeah, they've both been extremely impressive. As far as that game went, I mean, it's really hard to nitpick, like, which one had the better game. They were both elite. I guess you'd have to say that Tatum probably had the better overall game of the two, given that he actually won his game and Zach Levine ended up getting the Bradley Beal treatment where he drops 50 in a loss. But um, I think that they're both extremely elite players. I just think that for the Bulls, it's a little bit worrisome that it seems like consistently either Zach Levine is having monster games and they're losing. And then you have an underwhelming game from Vucevic. And then you have a flip where Vucevic will then have a great game and Zach Levine won't, and they'll still lose that one too. It seemed like everyone thought, including myself, that when they made this addition, they were going to be a lot more competitive. And we thought that this would give them the kind of jolt that they needed to maybe jump up into the playoff standings. But um, up to this point, they're pretty much exactly where they were when they got him. And they don't seem any closer to getting a playoff spot. If anything, they've kind of slid a little further back behind the pack. Um, you got to figure they're still going to probably have the ability to get into that play-in tournament just based on star power alone. If those guys can figure it out, they haven't played much together. They have the talent where theoretically they should beat out one of these lower seeds, but one of those lower seeds might also be the Celtics. So um, it'll depend. So I think that for right now, Tatum is getting hot at the right time. He just won Eastern Conference Player of the Week. And I think that maybe seeing his counterpart, Jalen Brown, kind of start to take the team from him, it's maybe motivating him to start playing his A game, maybe getting a little closer to the playoffs and starting to wake him up. But um, it seems like for the Celtics, he's coming around at the right time. Ravine for a sec. Against the Bulls yesterday. I mean, I'm sorry, against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, both him and Vucevic had a decent game. Levine had 30 points, uh, six assists, seven rebounds. But Vucevic, he had 18 points, so decent amount there, three blocks. It's the underwhelming only, for him, though. It's it, down on all his numbers on the year. That's yeah, well, the, the part that I was going to get to is he only had five rebounds. Anthony Edwards had five rebounds. Like, you cannot be the third best, or no, I'm sorry, Daniel Tice, the backup, had six rebounds. So you can be the fourth best on the team in rebounds when that's pretty much what they got you for, is for your rebounding ability and the ability to finish in the paint. So um, definitely. I think he's got to stop spotting up so much at the three-point line and get in the paint and mix it up a little bit. He's huge. And right now, he, I guess since he's having such a good shooting year, he just wants to shoot threes all day. But they got plenty of that. They need him to get inside. Two for three. Yeah, I know he, he didn't shoot that many, but he's always – he's catching the ball at the three-point line. He's not really positioning himself in the paint too often when you see them play. He likes to hover around the perimeter a lot now. Another young guy who continues to impress, Zion Williamson has been on fire for most of the season, but in the last 10 games, he has been extremely impactful overall. Um, it, he's playing out of his mind. 31.3 points per game. 8.1 rebounds per game, 4.3 assists per game on 62% shooting. What do you feel his impact has been on the game this season? And like, what's his ceiling? I mean, this is ungodly. Well, for me, I think that this really, Zion Williamson is basically the force of nature that has come to equilibrate the league almost. If you see... The way that the league has gone year after year, it's become more and more perimeter oriented, more and more three-point shots, more and more shooting. 
If you can't shoot, you can't do anything, apparently, in today's NBA. If you look at Zion Williamson's shot chart during this dominant stretch, he's basically not shooting anything outside of the paint. He is living, feasting in the paint, and no one can do anything about it because it seems like it's just the way that the way the, way the league goes. I mean, you had the league basically become an extremely perimeter-oriented league, and you went away from larger, more physical guys because you basically decided that those guys weren't effective anymore. And so as a result, now you have this force of nature who basically has Shaq's strength in a 6'7 frame, 284 pounds. And now the way that the players in this league are built, they don't have the physical ability to get this guy out of the paint. There's no one in the league for the most part right now that has the sheer physical brute strength to be able to get him out of the paint. So from his perspective, he doesn't see a reason why he should be shooting outside of the paint because he can get there every time. And he's shooting 60% and up almost every game. He's finishing everything. And he's starting to add now that um, he's taken on a little bit more playmaking responsibility, he's seen an uptick in his assist numbers. And now he's starting to develop that other aspect of his game where when he's drawing double teams, he's starting to find the open guy. It's little things like that that eventually get you to win. That's what contributes to winning in the end. And um, Zion Williamson low-key has the number one PER in the NBA right now, which, I mean, that's phenomenal. The guy is not even 21, has the number one PER in the league. So what is his ceiling? If he can stay healthy, his ceiling is top five of all time type talent. If he can stay healthy, based on the projection of his career right now, there is no other player to this point that has had this much success on this efficient of shooting at this young stage of his career, except for maybe Shaq. And Shaq wasn't this young. Shaq came in a little more seasoned. So um, this is really just, we've never really seen anything like this. Not from anyone, not even LeBron. Yeah, it's, I thought personally it was going to take a couple more years for him to get to this point. Uh, Clearly he is blowing past that. I would say the piece in his game that he does need to improve. And you mentioned that he is getting better with assists. Um, But I, um, in college, he was averaging uh, like 1.8 blocks a game. Now he's averaging uh, 0.7 for this year. Last year is 0.4 per game. So he's a big guy. He's very dominant. He needs to be better within the paint uh, in terms of defending these guys. Um, Overall, foul numbers have increased. So it looks like he is trying to absorb some of that contact more and make a play on the ball. But um, I think he does need to get better defensively in order to be. If he can get the two-way game going, be this dominant on one end and then do that on the other side of the floor while also improving and assists, he does shoot a couple threes a game. So if he were to expand and want to add that piece to his game as well, then yeah, I mean, it's, he's going to be unstoppable. There's no reason either why he shouldn't continue to improve on the defensive end. I don't know, based on the way that his shooting motion looks, that he's ever going to become quite like an elite shooter, especially because it's just so weird. Think about it. This guy has so much vert and he's so heavy. When he shoots, it's just probably kind of hard for him to consistently get off the exact same motion on his jump shot every time, given his physical build and his dynamics. But I think that defensively, he should become elite someday. Like he 
has all the physical tools to be the kind of guy that can be an all defensive team player if he wants to be that kind of guy, because theoretically speaking, he's fast enough to guard all the perimeter guys and he's definitely strong enough to guard all the big guys. And he's got the vertical to basically make up for any height deficit that he may have. So with that low center of gravity, that strength, that quickness and that athleticism, I think that he just needs a little bit more time to get the mental aspects of what professional defense looks like. But when he finally starts to get that clicking and the game slows down from defensively, I think that we'll see him be an elite player on both ends. Matt. Well, moving on to some people who have not had uh, as much of uh, impressive piece of the season. California teams have been sliding as of late. The Lakers have now fallen to fifth in the West. Warriors have now fallen to 10th. Do you feel that these late season slides are going to wind up being too much to recover from for either or both teams? Better yet, will the Warriors even make the playoffs? And will the Lakers end up having to compete in the play-in tournament for a spot? See, I mean, for me, I know that the Warriors were like a really nice story for a long portion of this year. Stephen Curry was in that MVP conversation for a while, and he had them firmly positioned for a playoff seating for a lot of the year. But I said at the beginning of the year, I just felt like it was going to take too much of a superhuman effort on his part. He, he literally would have had to be just as good, if not better, as the year that he won unanimous MVP in order for them to basically make the playoffs because around him, he just really didn't have much help. Draymond Green at this point doesn't even average double figure points per game. Um, you can't count on Kelly Oubre's jump shot to fall consistently. Credit to Andrew Wiggins for becoming a, a pretty solid player this year. I think that he's really matured and has turned his career around. And I think that Andrew Wiggins still has a chance to be a really nice compliment for that team. But I just never thought that this was going to be the year for them. And I think that now we're finally starting to see it at the beginning of the year. They had a lot of other competitive teams that were still trying to get their footing that now have solidified themselves. And now they're sliding away from the pack. I think that they definitely missed the playoffs, just like I've always thought all year. And as far as the Lakers go, it's really going to come down to how much time are these guys going to miss right now? They're in the fifth seed. If these guys were to reasonably come back a week from now, one of them, at least Anthony Davis or LeBron, they could reasonably hold down a top five seed in the West. But if those guys continue to miss time, and I think it's more like two weeks and, and, uh, and beyond, then I think that they're going to probably end up slipping to the seventh or eighth. They might honestly be the kind of team that might have to play in for that tournament, which I can't imagine is going to be good for a 36-year-old LeBron and an injury-hobbled Davis. So, I, I mean, for the Lakers, they've got to be praying for health. Yeah, I, and I think games that the Lakers play to close out the season, I think it's a more difficult schedule than what the Warriors are going to have to play overall. Um, and I think I think the Warriors could steal a game from Dallas or steal a game from Memphis in order for the, to get that play-in spot. So I think there's still hope for them to make the playoffs. For the Lakers, I agree with you. I think that they need to definitely get those guys back. Um, and it it may not be too much to recover from right now in terms of making the playoffs, but come playoff time, it, it might be a, a bit too they much. They rely to on that high seeding. Sure. Yeah. When's the last time we saw LeBron have to labor through challenging rounds every single round? He likes to Probably cruise Miami. until the last round. 
Yeah, probably. Exactly. Miami. So at, at this point in his career, he's trying to like skate till the last couple of rounds. So, I mean, we'll see what happens for them. Yeah. I think uh, for the Warriors, like you said, it's definitely has been a nice story for Steph. Um, I read an article today that, or, or saw somebody was saying that they shouldn't play Steph as much to play hero ball because they need to like maintain and potentially load manage him for the rest of the season so that they don't suffer an injury there. But I, I don't think he's going to let that happen. I don't think he would either, especially, I mean, he already waited a long time to come back and play, but and he just loves to play too. So I don't really see that happening, but it was a nice run while he had it, you know? Yeah, I agree. All right. And now time for everyone's favorite segment, plead their case. I will ask you a series of questions and you'll plead the case as to why or why it is not true. All right. A-Rod and Mark Lore are purchasing the Timberwolves. Glenn Taylor is finally selling for $1.5 billion. Plead their case on why they can turn this franchise around. You honestly must be like sad and happy to hear it because I know that you loved roasting Glenn Taylor and the Timberwolves, but I feel like he couldn't have done like a worse job. He was one of the worst owners in the league. And I think that it's safe to say that at the very least, you can expect some type of improvement from this team after being purchased. They're actually buying this team. Like if you were going to buy the bull or the, the Wolves, this would be the best time to buy them from a talent on the roster standpoint. If you think about it, they've got Anthony Edwards, who's really been coming around of late. He's already up to 18 points per game this year in his rookie year. Probably is going to wind up winning rookie of the year now at this point because LaMelo's not expected to come back. They've got a young Carl Anthony Towns that they smartly held on to, who's averaging 25 points a game and is doing solid. They have D'Angelo Russell. Whether they decide to keep him or not, it's an asset. Malik Beasley, again, same thing. Whether they keep him or not, asset. Um, Ricky Rubio is not a bad point guard. 6.9 assists per game. They got another young guy in Okogi. I mean, the roster is not a bad-looking roster. The only thing that works against the Timberwolves is the location. It's still always going to be a hard sell to get free agents to go out there. So that's the hardest aspect with taking over a team like the Timberwolves. But if you have already got the talent on the roster, then you don't really have to worry about attracting the talent. So, and it seems like they're set up for the next couple of years. So I expect that they'll at least be better than what they've been the last decade. Well, the interesting piece is that they're going to, uh, it's going to be like a two-year delay for them taking over. So they're not going to take over until 2023. But with A-Rod's ties to Seattle, there is speculation that he is not going to keep the team in Minnesota and he is going to end up bringing the team over to Seattle and bringing back the Supersonics. So that if, is, that if it huge. is true, it would be huge. It would be obviously uh, terrible for the Minnesota fans because I think their fan base is actually a, a pretty good one. Um, so it would be big for Seattle bad for Minnesota. I do hope the league just expands and ends up bringing a team into Las Vegas and Seattle. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's good to see it going out of Glenn Taylor's hands. And hopefully, even though he didn't get the bid for buying the Timberwolves, like he was promised, hopefully Kevin Dar Garnett allows the new owners to retire his Jersey. Like it should be. Yeah, I agree with that. Moving on. Kyrie Irving. 
is missing another game due to personal reasons. Plead his case on why constantly coming in and out of the Nets lineup isn't going to affect his team's chemistry or success. Well, I think at this point, he's done this so many times that you can say that he has been consistent in his inconsistency. So at this point, his team, I think, has maybe even fallen into a routine of knowing eh, he's played about three or four games. He's probably due to miss the next one. I think at this point, they're starting to fall into a rhythm and understanding that Kyrie's going to probably miss one out of every five games for random reasons. Not saying that it's right, but it hasn't really affected their record. And it seems like even though he's been in and out of the lineup, when he's been in, he's played well. And they really haven't seemingly needed him to win. So um, the major concern, I think, is when this comes down to the playoffs, and teams lock in on their assignments a lot more. It, it might be a little concerning for them to have such a limited sample size of having their three best players playing together. They really haven't had a lot of time to figure out what the best sets are and rotations are for those three guys together at the same time. It's been a lot of two-man ball, um, but we'll see. They've, they're still sitting at number one, and I'm sure when, the, when it really matters, he'll probably be a lot more consistent with um, his approach to making it to games. They uh, are definitely used to it at this point. I think he definitely gets the most press out of the three, just given the fact that he misses one of every five games, like you said. Um, but I think, yeah, the bigger issue is the chemistry on the floor. It seems to be a non-issue, but for these three, if they go into the postseason only having played seven games together, then they need to potentially play 28 games together in the postseason if they went best of seven in every single series. So you hope that they play some more games, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Moving on, Miles Bridges committed murder in the league this week and threw down possibly the dunk of the year after throwing down, I think, what was dunk of the year before as well. Played his case for why he is the best dunker in the league. I mean, his resume speaks for itself. This guy has got already a highlight reel of dunks. This is not a one-time occurrence. People know him for this. I mean, before I really looked into Miles Bridges, the player, all I knew him as was that guy who dunks on people because I had already seen a couple of highlights. But lately, he's taking it to another level. Um, this guy is just an athletic freak. I don't understand why we didn't have him in the dunk contest this year instead of these random no-names. But um, I, I'm actually pretty sure he's competed in it before, but I, I could go for seeing this guy dunk in the dunk contest every year. But I think what's most impressive about him is that there's a lot of guys who are great dunkers in a dunk contest type setting, but you never really see them do anything quite like that in games. So, yeah, it's nice that you can do it when it's dunk contest. But I think what makes Miles Bridges the best dunker in the NBA is that he's capable of consistently putting up dunks like these in-game when it counts. And I think that the effect that it has on your team is huge, too. It's, it goes beyond the two points. When you put down a poster dunk like this, all your teammates get excited. All your teammates get fired up. It brings up everyone's intensity. I think it rallies your team's level of play. And to me, I think without question, he's got the best in-game dunk resume so far up to this point. So... 
he's got to be right now the best dunker in the league. Yeah, that's the key clarifier or classifier I'd put on him. He's the best in-game dunker, which obviously means more than a dunk contest dunker. But I still don't think he's the best dunk contest dunker because he's he hasn't done it since 2019. Um, I, I don't hopefully he does because I'd love to see how his creativity has evolved in the last three years. But yeah, I agree with you. I think from an in-game perspective, he, he just posters every single person and it's reminiscent of what Blake Griffin did for the span of like two years uh, in on the Clippers and what he's seemingly able to do still on the nets. Um, But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch for sure. Moving on to another big man. Ennis Cantor pulled down a Blazers record 30 rebounds to go along with 24 points. Plead his case for why he's actually underrated and is deserving of a larger role. You know, I do feel bad for uh, Ennis Cantor. It seems that the guy is just pretty much underappreciated at every stop that he's been at. He's a guy that whenever he's out there on the court, he produces. He doesn't usually get a lot of playing time, but he always produces. His efficiency rating is always up there. Right now on the year, his efficiency rating is at 19.47, which would be 35th best in the league. He's averaging a double-double off the bench, and that's not even something that's uh, a rare occurrence for him. He's done that before a couple times, too, double-doubles off the bench. And it seems like his per-minute averages are great. So I don't really know why it is that teams don't give him more of a chance. He's um, got a great knack for playing the angles off the rim when the ball is coming off that rim he's not necessarily going to be the best athlete or the biggest guy but somehow he seems to always put himself in the right position to at least fight for that board he's got a solid little mid-range um and honestly year after year he's been consistent at the free throw line he's not a liability there so i think the only thing that you can complain about with him is that he's not really great um laterally so he's not you know an ace defensive player but there's other guys out there that get more playing time than him that are worse defenders. So I think it's just a matter of he's just been in situations a lot of his career where he's having to back someone up that maybe the team has um, more value for. But this guy, he didn't just set like a career high. He set like a Blazers franchise record high. They've had a lot of great players that have played out there. And for this guy to do it, um, being primarily a bench player. He did it that night starting in place of their injured starter, Yusuf Nurkic. But I think that he definitely is deserving of a little bit more playing time because on a per-minute basis, he produces. I agree. I think he's having a stellar year, uh, especially on the offensive end. His per 100 possessions is 133, which is uh, more than 17 above his career average. Um He's been playing extremely well, and I think to further the point of he needs to have a good opportunity, which it seems like his second stint now with the Blazers is the right opportunity. Um, He's only 28, so he still has a lot of good years to go. So if he continues to improve his game, continues to become uh, more of an offensive threat, aside from just the the, like putback attempts, um, I, I think that he will continue to be a, a very valued uh, big man in this league. 
Yeah, I actually didn't even know he was 28. Feels like he's been in the league forever, but just he's been in the league. You. Yeah, he's been in the league. This is his ninth season, I believe. Um, so, yeah, he's been around. He's he's been consistent. I'm pretty sure he's a pretty high pick too. All right. Well, with that, that's the end of this segment. Now, that's the end of the pod. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. We're on all your favorite forms of media. So uh, go ahead and check us out, and we'll see you next time. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Quarters adjourned! <laughs>